0: Good evening, Dharma friends. Can everyone hear me? So tonight, is it is my honor and pleasure to talk to you about the seven factors of enlightenment. Okay, I'm gonna tell you the joke. <laughs> So Aaron and I often will go over our talks with each other before we give the talks. And tonight, for some reason, when I was going over this talk, we both got into, has anybody, many of you have probably know Saturday Night Live. So she was Franz and I was Hans, and we decided we were going to pump you up <laughs> with the seven factors of enlightenment. <laughs> So, noticing joy in the mind and heart. (laughs) I remember the first time uh, I was practicing with my teacher and I came in and reported, and I'm just telling myself jokes on the cushion. He said, that's joy in your mind. So, the seven factors of enlightenment. So, um, I know I have been using this analogy of being on the shore and the hindrances being the breakers and, uh, you know, swimming past the breakers of the hindrances and then getting to a calmer place in this big field of awareness ocean where we might uh, find the seven factors of enlightenment. And uh, Franz over here reminded me that it's really not that the, uh, you know, the hindrances come back in different ways. It's not like we're hindrance-free. It's just that they might come back in more subtle forms and they might look differently. So aversion might look very differently the first week of the retreat than it would the third week of the retreat or the seventh week of the retreat. So it's not like they totally go away. They come back in maybe more subtle and sneaky forms. That's my experience anyway. So, um, but I do think that you know they call the seven factors, one of their names is the anti-hindrances. So they are thought of as an antidote or uh, what comes beyond them. So the seven factors are both where a meditator should focus his or her or their attention because as we know, the seven factors are part of the dhammas and the fourth foundation of mindfulness, right? So it's totally appropriate and actually very helpful to uh, use them as a checklist of, you know, what's going on in my mind right now? You know, are there body sensations, first foundation? Can I, is Vedana predominant? Is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neither? Are there uh, thoughts or emotions? Are there hindrances? Are there seven factors in the mind? You know, the Buddha gave us those as very wholesome uh, focuses of our attention during um, during our practice. So there were a meditator might focus their attention, and also how a meditator might focus their attention. They're both, right? So, going through them, uh, of course mindfulness is the great factor that you can never get too much of, right? Mindfulness is a universally wholesome, always wholesome mental factor And uh, this may not be true, but right now I'm going to say it. The stronger, the better. Mindfulness is great. And three of these factors are thought to be energizing factors. Uh, They're, you know, keep us awake and alert. And three of them are calming factors. So I'm going to go through them. um, Factor by factor. With an emphasis on how we might actually... Uh, pump them up, you know, really concentrate on them or focus on them, ways that we can make them uh, more evident, how we can focus on them and also how it should focus our attention. So the first one we know is mindfulness and we've talked a lot about that. Many of you are mindfulness teachers and we're mindfulness teachers of sorts, Sati Sapajanya. I just wanted to mention One way, uh, I have this uh, colleague. His name is Dr. Michael Yellowbird. He lives in North Dakota, too. He lives uh, from the Fort Berthold Reservation. And uh, he, you know, I've known him for a while. We haven't really talked about mindfulness at all, but he started doing writing about mindfulness and how it was very consistent with some indigenous ways of knowing. I think the intuitive intuitive uh, factor of it is very uh, consistent with indigenous ways of knowing. And why I mention this is because he has this frame that he says the practice of mindfulness is (laughs) neuro-decolonization. That's kind of cool. So all the ways that we have been colonized by all of these negative... Uh, negative forces in our environment, you know, the greed of advanced laissez-faire capitalism and, you know, just all of the isms that I have been, you know, hearing from, from yogis as we come in, we're working with, you know, sexism and just feeling afraid in the environment and racism and homophobia and ageism. Ageism is not a little thing and uh just you know these identities that uh you know are tied up to karmic knots that we have, mindfulness is a way to uh neurologically decolonize those from our from our view. you know we have a view, we have perception thoughts and view, and it's a way to decolonize our view to really be able to see clearly what's happening in the moment and not be influenced by those bigger habit patterns that we have all been, if we have been raised in this, in this society, we have all been subject to. So it's a way to, uh, that's actually, uh, Analiyo talks about that, about it's a way to see clearly and uh, you know, not be influenced by those bigger forces. So I just wanted to say that about mindfulness, though we have talked about it a lot. And um, mindfulness is, you know, the discerning quality, and it helps us determine which factors, which of the seven factors are present in the mind at any moment. And whether they're balanced. Whether there is a balance of energizing factors with calming factors or whether we need to maybe really um, try to crank up one side in order to balance the other side. And we can incline the mind towards uh, mindfulness. Just as we say the resolves in, in metta meditation, you know, may I be safe and protected, we can say, may strong mindfulness arise. You know, set the intention for mindfulness to be present. We can set that resolve and, uh, you know, just to have that intention in the mind. So what else should I say about mindfulness? We all love it, right? That's why all we're here. We have all set, you know, um, uh, Aaron talked so beautifully this morning about intention. We must have all set multiple intentions to, to work with mindfulness, and uh, you know, that we highly value mindfulness. Because look, we spent, taken a month or two months to do nothing but sit here, and you know, among other things, is to use mindfulness, and to build that strength uh, in us. So. I can say that we all have a deep intention and regard for mindfulness. So the factors that energize the mind. Investigation, Dhamma-vichaya. I love investigation. So um, I think it was King Melinda asked the Buddha, you know, Buddha, you have a lot of lists. And you have, you know, one of your list is these seven factors of uh, enlightenment or, or awakening. Is there one factor that really is the most important one? Or the one that really leads to awakening? What is the factor that leads to awakening? And the Buddha said, well, if you had to pick one, it would be the factor of investigation. The factor of investigation is really the wisdom function, or it, it, it serves to promote wisdom or the cause for wisdom to arise and so uh, King Melinda said well then why do you talk about all the other ones and he said well you know if wisdom if investigation is a sword and a sheath on your side don't you need to know how to where to place your hand and where to bring it out and how to whip it out of the sheath and how to you know, wield it when you're uh, needing it in battle or, you know, in whatever situation you're in. The other factors tell us how best to use investigation. So I thought that was interesting. So, um investigation, dharma-vichaya, some other translations of that Pali term. And, you know, I love when we actually do multiple translations of Pali terms because it gets us to a deeper meaning or a broader, more inclusive meaning of what these qualities are. So I always like to see multiple Pali uh, translations. So some other translations of dharma-vichaya are Discrimination of dhammas, and that's just meaning, you know, investigation is going down the list of the, four fa- the fourth foundation and saying, is this in my mind? Is this in my mind? And it's not only is this in my mind, but knowing this is not in my mind. To know when you don't have hindrances in your mind. And knowing when you do have the seven factors in your mind. And when you don't have the seven factors in your mind, you know, that's part of the discrimination is doing that uh, investigation. What is in my mind right now? How is it impacting me? One of the, um, they say that one of the uh, functions of investigation is that it lets us know uh, what when when questions arise in our heart mind it lets us to it lets us know which questions we should uh, take up and go with and which questions we should let go so think about that you know many questions arise in our practice and part of uh, yono manasikara Wise reflection or investigation is to know what questions that will uh, lead to the end of mental, um, what, how do they say it, effluence, mental, uh, you know, fluence coming out, mental factors that are wholesome and which will lead to quietude and which will support uh, positive. Uh, Uh, mental qualities in the mind, which in turn will, you know, be the things that inform our intention. I actually have um, the Abhidhamma. Many of you might know that, you know, the Abhidhamma is considered the uh, Buddhist psychology. And uh, it was written after the time of the Buddha when some monks... uh, Decided to, or some scholars decided to really arrange uh, the Buddha Dharma in a way for it to be easily taught. So, uh, uh, and there's a list of um, the 52 mental factors, the, they call them Chetasikas in, in Pali, but you know, according to the Abhidhamma, there's only one or a combination of 52 things that are possible in your mind. Isn't that interesting? Only 52 things that could be in there. But these are seven very wholesome things that could be in there. So, mindfulness, uh, the mental factor of mindfulness, its characteristic, you know, what its salient quality is, how it manifests in the mind is not wobbling and not floating away. Uh, what is the function of mindfulness? It is not forgetfulness and absence of confusion. To see clearly is the that's the function of mindfulness. the manifestation the way it presents itself I love this it's the guardian guardianship and confronting an object, really seeing clearly an object and uh, that's the other thing that uh, Franz over here and I were talking about. <laughs> Is that we can, for me, you know, I often want to know how strong my mindfulness is. And for me, mindfulness, the strength can be determined, be determined by how sticky an object is in my mind. And by that, it's like how personal and how much I think that this object is me at any moment you know, when sometimes we'll have an object one day that'll arise and it'll be really sticky and it'll, you know, be the cause of a lot of thoughts and emotions to arise. Two days later, the same thing could arise in our mind and it's like, wow, that's interesting. Look at that ill will in the mind. You know, it doesn't feel sticky at all and it's not necessarily the cause for uh, thoughts and emotions to arise. So that's one way to think about. That's one of uh, the manifestations uh, the guardianship, uh, really confronting or seeing an object clearly. And then the proximal cause of mindfulness to arise is the principal condition it depends on is strong perception and the four foundations of mindfulness, really practicing with what you know the Buddha taught about, what are really wholesome things to be aware of during our practice. And then going down to investigation, which I was talking about, you know, the mental factor of investigation or panya. The characteristic of investigation, this incredibly important mental factor, is penetrating uh, penetrating the intrinsic nature of things. That's the way it might show up, is that we really see clearly what's happening in the mind. So rather than feeling, you know, uncomfortable and... Uh, you know, having a lot of thoughts about what this person did to me and how I'm going to do this to them, you know, seeing oh, I got ill well will in the mind, you know, seeing clearly what that is in the mind. The function of uh, panya or investigation is to illuminate uh, the objective field or to illuminate, you know, uh, nama and rupa maybe or to illuminate Uh, knowing, the knowing faculty and what's being known in the moment. The manifestation of investigation is non-bewilderment. I love that. So we know when we see something clearly. And then the proximal cause is wise attention. Yonaso Manasikara, wise attention. I had this uh, experience today. I was actually sitting with a yogi. And this yogi was talking about... um, was talking about sharing the Dharma and how that fit into their life of all their other things that they were doing the job that they have they were talking about you know really investigating sharing the Dharma and how that fit in and this person said and but of course that's just another that's just another um, part of my practice my practice is working with that and it was, like, amazing to me because I have been dealing with a very similar question. You know, I have a full-time job as a college professor at the University of Washington, and, you know, it's not it's not like a low-energy, you know, do-what-you-want job. There's a lot to get done. But I love, you know, the Dharma field, and I know that this is... The most useful thing anybody could know about so balancing that has been you know it's been an issue for me and it ha- i have felt it in my heart as a tug and as soon as that it was like a slap across my face and uh there was clarity of of course that is an object of my practice and this huge amount of equanimity arose in that moment and it was like oh my It was just an amount of freedom I hadn't felt on that subject in a while. So it was really interesting. It was really beautiful. And I felt really free all day. So I think that was a moment of seeing clearly something that was really sticky for me, right? But I was through... Just this interchange being able to see clearly, of course, that's another object to investigate, and it really changed the nature of it. It was really beautiful. So how do we um, how do we build up investigation? So one way t- that supports investigation is um, to realize, for example, if if we have a hindrance in the mind, the first thing, of course, is to know that we have a hindrance in the mind. And it's always really great to do a hindrance check when we are having some struggle, some struggle on the cushion or walking around during walking meditation. It's always good to say, is there a hindrance in my mind right now? What's going on? And and to know how to hold the hindrances. This is a lot easier when, you know, we have strong mindfulness and what the hindrance is is not sticky. But one way to think about it with a wise investigation is that we're not asking the question. For example, um, seeing ill will in my mind, you know, I'm not asking the question, um, you know, why is it here? Why am I angry? Or what did this person do to deserve the anger? Or uh, is it right for me to be angry? The question is more, what is happening in my mind right now? What are the edges? You know, where does this start? Where does it end? You know, can I put a frame around it? Can I put a mindfulness frame around it? And how is this, um, you know, how is this, Influencing my intention in this moment? That was a real important question for me. As I said, you know, I'm working with as many of us, all of us are people who might be doing something that uh, upsets us. And as soon as I realized that. Yes, what I have towards this person right now is ill will. And I have made a strong commitment through Sila that I don't, you know, I don't want to have ill will in my mind. It was a lot it was very easy for me at that point to say, well, I'm letting this go. And I might have to let it go a thousand times, but I know that this is not something that I am gonna water in my mind when I can see it clearly like that. So that's how investigation can be really helpful. So here is a quote about that from Dilgo Kense Rinpoche. He tells us, Simply by turning on the light, you can instantly destroy the darkness. Likewise, even a rather simple analysis of ego clinging and afflictive emotions can make them collapse. By suppression, we may temporarily subdue our afflictive emotions, but only an investigation of their true nature will completely eradicate them. So, investigation of their true nature. We see the emptiness in them. We see the empty nature. So, uh, what are the things that are said to Oh my gosh, I'm only on the second one and I have like five minutes left. (laughs) Anyway, the things that support um, investigation are um, asking a question of a teacher, actually. You know, one of the things that I often do when I'm on retreat is there's things that I'll tell the teacher that are going on with me and things I won't tell the teacher. I don't know if any of you have that experience. But it might be really useful to actually share with the teacher Some of the things that are going on that you might not feel are, you know, you might think of a way to share them in a way that isn't too embarrassing or, you know, that really uh, lets us know what's going on. And it's just because when you're able to do that, you make them the object of your meditation in a way maybe you haven't before either, right? You make them an object of investigation, they say that you know keeping your area clean is is supports investigation, balancing the five faculties, you know one of the conditions for good uh, discernment to arise is being around smart people and uh, not being around people who don't know anything and hey, guess what? We are so delighted to hang out with some of these. Most senior Western Dharma teachers. Oh my gosh. They're right here. I'm smudging myself on them. (laughs) I feel so happy just to hang around with them. Their energetic field is very joyful and clear. So that's our energetic field here. So uh, Saida Utejaniya says, The balance you have to find is the balance between relaxation and interest. Interest is using wisdom. There is a wisdom quality to interest. People usually try to find a balance between effort and relaxation by using more or less effort. But if there is interest, effort is already present. When the mind is interested in knowing something, there is already effort. But be patient with yourself. To have zero tension is not easy. And, I'll, uh, and that leads to the next enlightenment factor, which is energy or virya. And I did give a whole talk on that last time. So I won't spend much time on that. I will give you what some of the uh, Pali translations are, the English translations for the Pali term of virya. They are diligence, energy, perseverance, enthusiasm, sustained effort. Um, and I'll tell you a story of me having, uh, been on retreat and having too much energy. So I was sitting the three-month retreat at IMS and I went in to see my teacher, Joseph, and I said, I think my energy is really too high right now. And he said, why do you think that? And I said, because I'm actually ringing the bell for like the 3.30 sit or something. And as I'm walking around the facility, you know, while I'm walking around, I'm sending meta to everyone who's here in this field. But in my mind, I am screaming the meta phrases. May you be happy. Like, you know, it was in my mind, but I was just screaming them. And he's going, yeah, yeah, you might have too much energy going on. <laughs> he said, you should, you know, really take a walk and, you know, your effort might be a little bit ramped up. So why don't you just take a walk and be a little bit more easy, just being presence to where you're at and not try to be so focused on what's happening. So that was one way that uh, my effort got a little bit over, overpowered. That's how it showed up for me. Here's a great quote uh, by Brad Warner about effort. It's called Effort Versus Success. Effort is more important than so-called success because effort is a real thing. What we call success is just the manifestation of our mind's ability to categorize things. This is success, this is failure. Who says? You says, that's all. Reality is what it is beyond all concepts of success and failure. You know, that was one question actually that came up, a really excellent question that came up um, by a yogi at the three months. They asked, how can I tell if my practice is good? I mean, will it always be pleasant if I'm having good practice? And Joseph said, oh, no. You know, sometimes there's actually stages in the practice, the stages of insight where, you know, you realize, you know, I mean, the first noble truth has a verb associated with it, right? Dukkha is to be known. Dukkha is to be understood. So there could be some opening to reality that isn't necessarily a pleasant experience. But that doesn't mean that it's bad practice you know, that's actually a sign of pretty good practice. So, it's hard to know and it's uh, difficult to judge, you know, whether what's going on with us in the moment is good practice or bad practice. So I talked about effort, so I'll go to joy. I won't talk about joy too much, though. I love joy, I'm a pretty joyful person, but Dr. Joy over here is going to give a <laughs> is going to give a talk on joy. I think, and I think it is so helpful. Actually, uh, Franz over here told me. She said a beautiful thing. She said, "This path is an ever deepening refinement of joy." I love that. You know, they called the Buddha, even though, you know, the first noble truth is the diagnosis of, uh, you know, life can be, that any conditioned thing has no real lasting sense of satisfaction to it. You know, they call the Buddha and his disciples the happy ones, the happy people, because this is a refinement of joy. And I think it's in the development of these seven factors that partly contributes to that. Because, you know, these aren't factors that, um, you know, we're taking magic pills and developing that aren't in our everyday life. Uh, These are factors that we have in our everyday life. And as we strengthen them, as we make this the sankaras that we are living with as we make these the mental habit patterns they will bring more joy to our lives and will be safer people to be around. Right? They bring joy to us and the people in, the people in our lives. So I'll say a few things about joy. Is that okay? <laughs> I love joy. I actually was so lucky to, uh, um, well, the last time uh, James was doing his Awakening Joy series, I was teaching at the Seattle Sangha. And I was so happy that we worked together and uh, I did his 10 Steps of Joy in six sessions. And every week he wrote a letter to the Sangha. It was so beautiful. So I would come in and say, okay, here is James's letter to the Seattle Sangha this week. It was so sweet. It was very meaningful. And it was very good for all of us. People really loved it. So joy. I've had some yogis come in to the, with joy. It's interesting. Uh, the, the other terms for it are rapture or piti. It can show up as a very physical thing. And I've had yogis come in you know, who've had strong joy. And it is, uh, it's usually felt as a physical sensation of really pleasant but uh, people can experience it as too energetic sometimes. It can get too energetic. I know one teacher, actually, Andrea Fella, was saying that she was like just shaking for a couple days and didn't know what this energetic shaking was and actually realized it was pt that it was uh, the joy factor, but just too energetic for it to be that pleasant. And how can we, um, how can we uh, water the seeds of joy? One thing, you know, um, on a personal level for me, I can actually develop a lot of joy and happiness just by recollection of the three jewels. Uh, Joseph says that I'm the devotional person on the teaching team. Because I love the Buddha. I love that person. I mean, how smart was he? And all the people who really are excellent teachers of the Dhamma, I love the Dhamma. That's like physics, you know. And I'm, a, you know, I'm like a bonafide scientist, right? I've got like big research grants. And uh, it's like none of that matches the truth of the Dhamma. I just love it so much. And the Sangha, I mean, you know, we bring out the best in each other always. And, rec- you know, recollecting that, just reflecting on that can be the source of joy to arise. The other uh, conditions for joy are, again, being around uh, smart people, not being around people with a lot of defilements or who don't realize, you know, the impact of their uh, actions. And these these are the conditions, you know, these are the excellent conditions for for the uh, awakening factor of joy to be strong. And again, when we have joy in our in our mind, we want to know that it's there. Like, oh, there's joy in my mind. Joy feels like this. You know, we want to be able to really see it and soak up it. You know, how does it feel in the body? What is it doing to the mind? And actually, um, I've had this experience even while... I've had, uh, you know, difficult karmic knots unwinding or even holding difficult things in my life. And I know this is true of other Sangha members, that, that we can hold some of our hardest, um, you know, events of our life, our hardships within fields of joy. Have you ever felt that? It's so interesting that there's a field of joy and we can hold the loss of a loved one, you know. And it's beautiful to be able to see that and know that's possible. So joy. So mindfulness leads to investigation that, you know, really waters effort. And effort, you know, that really uh, waters joy. And what is joy water? Joy waters tranquility. 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 Some of the translations of pasabati, is that how you say it? Are calmness, tranquility, repose, and serenity. To calm down, to be quiet. And actually, I've heard that some people, for me, calmness is, I just love calmness. When I get uh, a huge hit of calmness, and I get calmness pretty regularly, I actually use it as my anchor for my mindfulness. It's like when calmness comes, it feels very spacious, and for me it's a great way to rest in spacious awareness when calmness is present. Really allows me to open up my mindfulness and to really have it be a little bit more expansive. But I've heard sometimes that that calmness is not necessarily something that people think is even useful or good. I hear that some people can think, am I being lazy or is the energy down? Or, you know, what is the calmness? So you might want to be be careful that, you know, we don't always have to be doing all of this karmic unwinding of remembering all these things that happened to us in second grade you know, to be doing good practice. It doesn't have to be like that. We can be resting and calm abiding with, you know, spacious anchoring in this sensation, and it's an incredibly wholesome thing. You know, we're rewiring those neuropathways and those neurotransmitters to say, yes, this is wholesome. This is what I want to manifest. This is, you know, a state that brings... Uh, is joy in the moment and conditions joy in the future for myself and everyone around me. So we can know that it's very wholesome. So going to the, going to the um, Abhidhamma, uh, quickly the mental factor of energy or virya Its characteristic is supporting, exertion, and marshalling. I love that, to marshal. Its function is to support associated mental states. So it gives energy to mental states. Its manifestation is non-collapse, and its proximal cause, oh, I love this, is a sense of urgency or ground for arousing energy, maybe some vega. It's like really spiritual urgency, like, wow, you know, I really want to do this work. This is a great opportunity for us to be doing this work together. So I want a martial energy for that. Joy, PT, its characteristic, its salient quality is enduring. Its function is to refresh the mind and body, to brighten the mind. Its manifestation is... Um, to pervade, to thrill with rapture. And its proximal cause is elation. And then calm. pasadi calm. Its characteristic is quieting disturbances. It quiets disturbances, I love that. Its function is to crush disturbances. Its manifestation is peacefulness and coolness. A coolness. And its proximal cause is consciousness and mental states. And then, the sixth um, enlightenment factor, another one of the calmings is, and this was interesting, I'm going to have to ask this incredibly senior Theravada teachers this question after, is in some places it's called samadhi. I think we all understand uh, samadhi as concentration, right? But in other places, actually, particularly in the Abhidhamma, it's ekagata, ekagata, And I understand ekagata as one-pointedness. It's a very specific way that concentration manifests as one-pointedness. And I think they're both true. I think the more classic way is probably to say samadhi. And I love to tell just my understanding that every time that we have a thought or every time that we have an emotion, that's a little dispense, that's a little um, release of energy. That's little energy, it's like little zaps of energy that are released released from our mind heart. And when we're uh, focusing on our breath as an anchor, or whatever anchor we're using, we're actually collecting all that energy. We're collecting all that energy. And that energy, actually, we can feel it build up. It actually sometimes feels like pressure building up. It can feel like pressure. And for me, it's like, what it does, the more concentration we build up, it's like we're uh, increasing the gauge of our mindfulness magnifying glass. You know, the more we collect, the more mindfulness is blowing up what it's seeing in the moment. And that's why, you know, somebody sitting next to us, they rustle their their papers and we just get outraged, right? You know, it's like such an inappropriate response to a little stimulus. But it's because mindfulness, you know, we have maybe that sense of aversion towards You know, things around us a lot, but we don't see it clearly because it's not that strong in our consciousness. But with uh, concentration and the strength of that mindfulness, we can see much more clearly what the patterns of our mind are. That's why it is so useful that we can see much more clearly, you know, how we are prone to greed, hatred, and delusion. And, you know, that's. That's you know we all have our our like mantras that we're working with. And my mantra right now is until enlightenment, we are all perpetrators. We are all perpetrators of greed, hatred, and delusion. And you know we want to look at that in ourselves. And when we see that in other people, it's like, are we being self-righteous and not having humility and realizing? Yeah, you you have great hatred and illusion, but I don't. You know, it's like just really opening to the truth of that. And then finally, equanimity. Uh, one way equanimity has been described is feeling very um, absolutely okay about the vicissitudes of life. You know, the Buddha taught about the vicissitudes. Praise and blame. Fame and disrepute. Gain and loss. Pleasure and pain. Wouldn't you love it if it didn't matter what was present? If we could just have you know, equanimity. It wouldn't matter what was arising in this moment. That it was all okay. Um, According to the Abhidhamma, concentration, did I already go through concentration? It has a characteristic of non-wandering and non-distraction. Its function is conglomerate associated states. So its function is to just really bring in energy levels. Its manifestation is similar to calm. It's very peaceful, concentration is. And its proximal cause is happiness. And for equanimity, the characteristic, it's conveying mind and mental states evenly. So it doesn't matter. Its function is to prevent deficiency and excess. I love that. So it really is a manifestation of the middle way. It doesn't matter. It's a manifestation of of um, the middle way. Uh, it is presents itself as neutrality. It doesn't matter. And you know we can see that when we have strong mindfulness and things aren't sticky, we have equanimity in our mind. It doesn't matter. You know when we can see ill will. And um, it's not sticky. We don't think it's us. You know, we see it clearly and it's not uh, motivating an intention for action. It's not motivating action of body, speech, and mind. You know, we have equanimity towards that. So it manifests as neutrality and what is the proximal cause of equanimity? This was surprising for me. The proximal cause is Reflection on the law of karma. That's interesting. To know, to really know that there are certain things that are the causes of happiness and certain things that are the causes for unhappiness. And uh, being able to open to what's in this moment but you know being very having a strong intention in this moment to create the causes of happiness for now and the future and to uproot the causes of unhappiness on the individual level on the sangha level on the collective level you know to do that not only for ourselves but to understand our interconnectedness So that was a lot of stuff. So let's have a uh, nice quote. The Optimism of Uncertainty. Human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, sacrifice, courage, kindness, What we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives. If we see only the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something. If we remember those times and places, and there are so many, where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us energy to act, and at least a possibility of sending the spinning top of a world in a different direction. Actually, you know who said that? That's interesting who said that. Is there any history people here? Actually, Howard Zinn said that. John Kabat-Zinn's father-in-law. Did you know that Howard Zinn, who is a great people's historian, is John Kabat-Zinn's father-in-law. And he actually took the Zinn name to do, you know, to really honor him. Anyway, so let's sit for a minute. May all beings Know with intimacy the seven factors of enlightenment and may they continue to grow and be the motivations behind our intentions of thought, speech, and body. May they grow stronger and lead to our complete awakening for our own benefit and for the benefit of all beings.